we continue our study on the omniscience of God by asking, what do we know about the omniscience of God from other biblical accounts of divine actions and reactions? The Bible is our only source book as to the mysteries of the inner nature of God. We have been studying the extent of God's knowledge from its references to the thoughts and actions of God in addition to its plain statements on the matter. Nowhere is it asserted that every action of moral creatures and every action of God throughout eternity is now known to God and has always been so from eternal ages past. We have seen that many times over in the Old Testament it is said that God repented or made changes in what he had planned to do. We continue this study by referring to other passages of a similar nature. We refer to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12. Here we have the account as to how God had planned to reach the world by calling forth a faithful man whom he could depend upon and building a nation from his offspring, through which also his truth could be revealed, and a Savior brought into the world. Abraham was found responsive, and was given many promises, among which that he should have an extensive offspring. Abraham was seventy-five years old when he departed from his tribal security, and this certainly meant a great venture. His faith was tried until he was 100 years old, when finally an heir was given with the favor of God. It might have been upward of 20 years later, when God chose to try or prove Abraham's faith by a most strange request, as we read in the 22nd of Genesis and verse 1. And it came to pass after these things, that God did tempt or try Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. His son Isaac, the heir of promise, was to be offered as a sacrifice on a distant mountain. Without any delay, Abraham made preparations for the amazing journey, and traveled with his son Isaac and other attendants to the appointed place. We are told that Abraham went in faith. This is indicated in the last part of the fifth verse, where Abraham said to the young men who were with him that he and the lad would go yonder and worship and come again to you. Also in verse 8, where we read, As Isaac had asked Abraham where the sacrifice was, and Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Hear this man of faith with this great confidence and uncompromising obedience. And so Isaac, doubtless a youth of great strength, submitted and was bound and laid upon the wood after they had come to the place selected. Abraham was without hesitancy, pressing on through to full obedience, 
without regard as to the consequences. As he raised his knife to slay his son, it appears from the text that this was the moment of supreme obedience that God was waiting to see. For we read in the twelfth verse of this chapter, And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And so God is pictured as having observed this tremendous obedience of faith and having had rejoicing over the obedience of his servant, even in this greatest of all sacrifices. Allow this, and all becomes vivid and meaningful. God received a climactic thrill from the obedience of his faithful servant. Deny this obvious meaning and explain it away, and this great event becomes commonplace and dull. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 5, we have an interesting verse. While Moses was upon the mount forty days, when he was receiving the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and also the other regulations, the terrible apostasy of the golden calf took place. Israel would have been destroyed except for the intercession of Moses, according to the 32nd chapter. God had planned to wipe out the nation and start over again with Moses, but repented and was now visiting them with righteous judgment. God called for a manifestation of repentance so that he could decide how much further he was going to go in judgment. In verses 4 and 5 we read, And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on him his ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment, and consume thee. Therefore now put off thine ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. Here is an express declaration that God is waiting to see what they were going to do, so he could make up his mind as to how far in judgment he was going to go, and whether they were in an attitude of repentance or not. So they put off their ornaments, and doubtless God modified his judging hand accordingly. In the 11th chapter of Numbers and verse 1, we also have a statement to consider. As the children of Israel journeyed through the wilderness, they experienced the guiding cloud by day, and the pillar of fire by night, and the daily manna as food. What wonderful provisions! of care and love were these. Their complaining in the midst of all this was very offensive to God, and it appears from this first verse to have been a surprise that they could be so unappreciative. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them, and consume them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And so judgment was sent, and was stayed by the prayer of Moses. In the next verse, 
And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. Allow this reaction. Allow God to have made this observation and have been pained thereby, and all is plain. But otherwise, great explanations have to be entered into. In the eighth chapter of Deuteronomy and verse 2, we want to consider a thought. In spite of the great and glorious deliverances that had been given to Israel, they became disobedient and failed to grasp the opportunity of faith to enter into the promised land. God's judgment for their murmuring was a period of 40 years of wandering to and fro in the wilderness. From the text, God expected to discover their true hearts from their relations to his dispensations. And we read thus in verse 2, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. What else could these words mean than as they plainly indicate? that God was observing their conduct and expected to know by watching their reactions to his kindness and his mercies as well as to his judgments as to whether they would keep his commandments or not. In the second chapter of the book of Judges, verses 20 to 23, we read these words, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein, as their fathers did keep it, or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. And in chapter 3 and verse 4, we read a continuation. And they were to prove Israel by them, the nations, to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord which he hath commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Now there are two indications in this passage of a observation of God. First, a concrete evidence appears in this passage that God had changed his mind about driving out the nations from Palestine, as he had indicated. In the 15th chapter of Genesis, and verse 18 to 21, we read about these promises to Abraham. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river of Euphrates, and then went on to mention a number of the peoples that were to be driven out. God promised to Moses that he would drive out certain nations, as we read about in the 33rd chapter of Exodus, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence 
Thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. And in the 34th chapter of Exodus, and verse 24, For I will cast out the nations before thee, and enlarge thy borders. Neither will any man desire thy land, when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. In Judges chapter 3 and verses 3 and 5, we have a list of many of the nations which on previous passages it was said that they would be driven out. And so because of Israel's sin, God evidently changed his mind and left a number of the nations in Palestine which he had before declared that he would drive out. In the second place, from chapter 2 and verse 22, as we read, we are told that God expected to find out from these nations that were left in Palestine whether Israel would be faithful and true or not. And so we shall continue in our next message. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank thee for the revelations of thy heart. We do thank thee that thou art the observant God, that thou art tender and compassion. O Lord, we just pray that many may avail themselves of thy mercy while the day of mercy is still at hand, may repent and come to Christ, the loving, tender Savior, find forgiveness and salvation and abundant pardon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.